podcast host Jiana Lakravala example the common model of cognition uniting minds and machines greetings everyone welcome to today's podcast i am jiana lakravala your host for today and i am joined by esteemed professor of the university of southern california usc mr paul rosenblum we have with us today a highly skilled professor and an exceptional human being he is now emeritus however over most of his career his research focused on understanding and building human like minds with working on cognitive architectures that were grounded in both artificial intelligence and cognitive science more recently this research has extended to include more abstract methodologies for understanding minds as well as comparably abstract approaches to understanding the encom- encompassing disciplines in particular ai cognitive science and computing now let me talk about the so welcome sir we're really happy to have you uh, with us on our podcast today um, so i'll now talk to you about the what the common model of cognition is before we start asking mr rosenblum some questions the common model of cognition or cmc is a theoretical framework that aims to unite minds and machines by providing a common understanding of cognitive processes it seeks to create a unified model of human cognition that can be applied to the development of artificial intelligence systems the cmc recognizes that human cognition is complex and multifaceted involving various mental processes such as perception attention memory learning reasoning and decision making by studying and modeling these cognitive processes researchers hope to develop intelligent machines that can simulate human like thinking and behavior so would you like to say something um no just thanks for the, the kind introduction that was a good short summary of the the common model i'll yeah. try to give a bit more detail uh, in response to your questions okay so we can move on to the questions now the first one is what is the common model of cognition and how does it aim to unite minds and machines alike okay um so to begin with the focus here is on whole minds not just parts of them so much of what goes on in artificial intelligence at this point is focused specifically on learning which is an important capability but it's only part of what's required to provide a whole mind um uh, the common model is also not concerned just with human minds uh but what can be called human like minds so that's human minds plus other natural and artificial minds that are similar enough to them in the sense that you can build at least in the abstract a single model that covers all of them so in general we can partition individual minds into a body of fixed mechanisms plus a mass of variable content So the fixed mechanisms together form what is called the cognitive architecture. You can think of a building architecture or a computer architecture if you're familiar with that concept for example but for this case it's for minds. Uh it's not quite a blank slate but it is where things start. The variable content then consists of uh knowledge about the world and skills that can be performed. The architecture is responsible then for acquiring storing retrieving and applying both knowledge and skills in the process though it has to support a whole bunch of other capabilities such as you've already mentioned such as reasoning decision making 
problem solving, planning, language use, social interaction, and self-awareness. So what you're generally taught in science classes, such as physics, chemistry, and biology, are what can be called consensus models. That is, they're what the scientific community has agreed is currently the best models or theories of a particular topic. But when we come to cognitive architectures, there's currently a cacophony of over 50 distinct ones under current, um, under development. Some, such as ACTAR and SOAR, have been under development for decades. Others are of much more recent vintage. Uh, one I've been working on for a little over a decade, for example, is called Sigma. You can think of it as essentially a spin-off of the earlier SOAR architecture, though SOAR is also under continuous development as well. Yeah. The common model of cognition then is an attempt to determine what consensus might exist concerning an architecture for human-like minds. It's explicitly incomplete and only including aspects for which there is a consensus. So most cognitive architectures tend to be built. That is, they're programmed on a computer and they can run and perform various kinds of tasks. A common model is a much more abstract thing. It just exists on paper. It's partial, it's abstract. But what it's trying to do is capture those aspects that the community agrees must be in an architecture for a human-like mind. It could serve as the template for creating additional architectures. And it also serves as a template for what we call an interlingua for comparing architectures. So there've been over a dozen existing architectures that have been mapped onto it uh, so that we can tell what are the similarities and differences among them, uh, what might be missing from the common model, uh, what might be missing from the individual architectures and so on. The current structure of the common model consists of a set of basic components. So there are two long-term memories, one each for knowledge and skills. Um, again, knowledge is basically knowledge about the world. Skills are essentially how you do activities like riding a bicycle or even thinking about certain kinds of things that you're highly practiced at. Yeah. And then there are learning and retrieval mechanisms for each of those long-term memories. Uh, there's a short-term working memory what is being actively processed. So things are retrieved from long-term memory into working memory, things are perceived into working memory. Um, and then that adds, acts essentially as the central um, workspace for bringing together what you know about the current situation. There are also perception and motor modules for interacting with the external world. So in a sense, it's just a simple combination of those modules. Um, as I said, all interactions occur through working memory mm -hmm. is the central meeting ground, except there's also a direct link between perception and motor control, which is specifically for certain kinds of high-speed reflexes and, uh, and proprioception where um, you're perceiving, for example, what your motor system is doing directly and things like that. But otherwise, everything goes through that working memory. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond this structure, there's also a number of assumptions uh, about all this work. We started with essentially 16. Let me just give you an example of a few yeah. that are, are relatively straightforward. Uh, <clears throat> so what is the decision-making is sequential? So you go one decision after another. Um, and in humans, this occurs at roughly 50 milliseconds per decision, okay. or essentially 1 20th of a second. Right. So, so you can do 20 decisions per second in a human, which is fairly rapid. And it happens at a, at a rate that you're not 
you can't really be aware of it. Uh, but um, it, it essentially determines how much you can accomplish within even a single second. Okay. But despite this central sequentiality, there's significant parallelism. That is, things happening at the same time, both within modules. So in, for example, the skill memory, there may be many uh, what are called rules that are condition action structures that are executing at one time to figure out what it is one should do when makes a decision after 50 milliseconds. Yeah. And there's also parallelism across the modules. So the two memories can be working in parallel along with perception and, and action. Yeah. So essential sequentiality, but massive parallelism as well. Okay. There's learning. Um, it happens not as deliberately. So it's not saying, I want to learn this, so I'm going to memorize it. Mm -hmm. It happens essentially as a side effect of these other processes. So you can say you want to memorize things and you go through trying to rote memorize. That's not what causes the memorization though. It's a side effect on that process. Okay. But you also get that side effect when you're simply thinking about things. When you're performing skills, you're automatically improving on those skills. When you're reasoning, you're learning what you've reasoned about and the, and the way you've done that reasoning. So all of that happens as a side effect of what you're essentially consciously thinking about. So that's kind of a key assumption about how learning works in the model. Okay. That was uh, so beautifully explained. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, moving on to the next question. Uh, what disciplines are involved in developing the CMC? So we started from a base of artificial intelligence and cognitive science. Uh, but since uh, aspects of neuroscience, particularly cognitive neuroscience, have come in. So yeah. if you're not familiar with these particular areas, artificial intelligence essentially studies artificial minds and builds them as well. And it's focused on a functional understanding of how minds work. So by building them and trying them out, we get a feeling for what two different kinds of mechanisms do, how do they fit together, uh, what are their consequences, different kinds of tasks, and so on. Um, yeah. Cognitive science studies human minds, um, which are our main example of systems capable of general intelligence. Cognitive neuroscience then studies how minds are grounded in human brains, so deepening our insight into how human minds work. So currently, those are the are the main areas in in which the uh, in which the common model is grounded. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Moving on to the third question. How does the common model of cognition go beyond mere imitation of human thought processes? Okay, so I'm still not quite sure what is meant by this question. I've got two different interpretations of it. One is, um, is whether a model can actually think rather than just imitate thought. The other one is how such models are developed. Uh, if you want me to focus on one versus the other of those, I can, or I can say a little bit about both of those topics. Um, sure, whatever you would like to say. Okay. So the question is whether such a model can actually think rather than just imitate thought. Mm -hmm. uh, the key question is whether you accept that both that computation and thought are both grounded in what we call the transformation of information. So taking the bits of information, whether it's knowledge, skills, uh, even more primitive forms of things, and transforming them in several ways. The basic assumption behind AI is that Thought is that, 
Um, and that thought in humans is that as well. If you accept that basic assumption, then there's every possibility that such models can actually think rather than just imitate thinking. Right. So you can contrast it, for example, with a simulation of rain, which can predict very well what rain does, but it clearly isn't rain. In this case, we're saying thought on a computer is truly thought. That's not quite human thought, but it can yield a very close equivalent to it, depending on essentially how closely you model it. If on the other question, if on the other hand, the question is, how are such models developed? Uh, the key activity, at least with respect to the common model, is examining existing architectures and data and looking for where the commonalities can be found. Even if you have to dig deeply below the surface differences to find them, because these architectures are almost always written in different languages, use different kinds of terminology, uh, talk about their modules in different ways. So you have to have some fairly deep conversations to say, okay, you talk about it this way and you over there talk about it this way, but in some sense, you're really talking about the same thing. And here's a way to think about the commonality between them. So a lot of the work on the common model is those kinds of discussions where you go beyond surface differences to see if there's some kind of underlying similarity. Mm -hmm. in, in conjunction with that is a bunch of consulting with the community, largely for now, the community that actually builds these architectures about where they see agreement and disagreement and how we should move forward. And then processes of revising, abstracting over differences that we can't uh, resolve at this point, reducing to the point where we don't say things about things we can't resolve and extending as possible. Um, so that's the kind of things we do in actually building the common model. All right, okay. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, the fourth question, can you provide a few examples of how the common model of cognition could be applied in real world scenarios? If I can give you two examples of what folks in the community have already been using it for, um, instead of just for theorizing and comparing architectures, but more real world kinds of things. Uh, one example is something called the Park Coach System uh, by Shivali Mohan. Uh, what she's done is use the common model conceptually to integrate the effects of multiple, what are called behavioral change approaches for health coaching. So you're trying to help people deal with various kinds of, um, for example, uh, mental challenges. And they, these kinds of behavioral change approaches are things like setting goals, setting intentions for, for how you're gonna implement those goals, uh, setting periodic reminders and making judgments and, and having attitudes. What the common model has allowed her to do is build an integrated model of those four kinds of um, essentially behavioral change approaches and how they work in people so that they can reason about how best to coach them to sort of better mental health. So that's that's one kind of use. Mm -hmm. uh, a second example actually is very different. It concerns Parkinson's disease. Okay. Uh, where the common model guided experiments that showed that such patients have abnormal connectivity between skill memory, uh, one of the two long-term memories, and working memory, um, having to do with essentially how skill memory modulates the control of informa information movement uh, through working memory from, from other kinds of modules. And unfortunately, Parkinson's patients, that works differently than it does for, for normal controls. Yeah. So that's just two kinds of examples. Yeah. 
even though it's not an implemented architecture, this is how people are essentially reasoning with the abstract formalism we've been able to provide with the common model. That's very interesting. Thank you. And uh, our last question for today. What role does neuroscience play in understanding and implementing the common model of cognition? I know you've talked about Parkinson's, uh, but maybe something else about neuroscience. Well, so the Parkinson's work is, is based on some more fundamental work on neuroscience and the common model. I must say the original work on the common model completely ignored neuroscience. Uh, the, the, the three of us who wrote the first paper are not experts in neuroscience, though one of us has some uh, amount of background in cardiac neuroscience. Um, but since then, we held a, a number of symposia, brought other folks into the group, and a group at the University of Washington under Professor Andrea Stocco was able to take the, the basic modules in the common model, the long-term memories, working memory, perception, and motor control, and map them onto functional circuits in the brain, the way neuroscientists understand them. Um, and then look at the connectivity among those modules in terms of how communication occurs among those functional circuits in the brain. They use data from what is called the human connectome, which was a very large project um, to develop data um, based on what's called functional magnetic resonance imaging or fMRI of humans performing various tasks and looking at communication among parts of the brain as they do that. Okay. And what uh, Professor Stocko and his group were able to show is that the common models approach to modeling the high level architecture of the brain in terms of what modules there are and how they interconnect provided a more accurate model than the more traditional models from neuroscience in terms of which paths were active among the circuits during various aspects of task performance. So that was a total surprise to us, but it's opened up a whole new pathway for looking at the relationship between the common model and a variety of questions in, in neuroscience and cognitive neuroscience. That's quite fascinating, I must say. Okay, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Rosenblum. It has been wonderful having you on our podcast and we appreciate you giving us your time. Well, thank you for inviting me. If you would like to ask us a question about today's podcast, I would like to offer your expertise and join us as a guest speaker. Please email us at the link in the description box. Thank you for supporting our podcast and we hope you have enjoyed listening to today's session. Stay safe and see you soon.